Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your weekend sports cars show where we talk about sports cars. So we put that in the title to make it somewhat apparent. I think Graham Goodwin, uh, good evening, good afternoon, Hello. good day, and all the lovely things you normally say to open the show. Uh, hi there, everybody. Uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, getting into that kind of autumn feeling here in, in the UK. It's dark um, Wednesday evening as we record this, and I'm delighted to say that we've got a guest presenter here. You may hear him clattering around later. Oscar the dog is in the house, uh, and that's mainly because I've got my dinner in the office this evening, and where there is dinner, there is dog. Oscar T. Dog. Gotta love it. Well, I've got uh, Rocky J. Squirrel, also known as Rocky the Cat, chilling with me. Uh, he just might start complaining about wanting food before we end the show. It's that so would be unlikely. fairly normal. Indeed. Well, let's do this. Let's say a big thank you to our kind listeners who send in the questions that do indeed inform and shape the show on a almost every weekly basis uh big thank you as always to cooper tires and the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com for supporting us why don't we do as we have done recently gray ham and that is keep this somewhat compact time wise okay. uh, we had a little petite le mans as some of my country men and women like to mispronunciate it uh, we had a, a certain race 10 hours worth on saturday that I thought was particularly good. We had a number of other championships settled within the IMSA sphere. Young Parker Thompson, uh, Red Deer, Alberta, Canada product, win the uh, the Porsche Carrera uh, title there among the pros. We had all kinds of cool things settled. Um, well, where should we start? Where should we start on our show? Well, I, I want to say one, um, it, it was the Mission Endurance uh, Challenge in GTD, but congratulations to Brendan Areeb and the Optimum Motorsport crew. Two titles in two days on two continents. And to add to that, by the way, a karting title for Sean Goff, who is the team principal of Optimum Motorsport, uh, his young son. So Sean wasn't at either of those race meetings, as he should be, supporting his lad in his title endeavours, and that was successful too. But that was quite something uh, with Brendan Areeb leaving Road Atlanta immediately after his two and a half hours is done, flying directly to Barcelona and doing the business on Sunday in GT World Challenge in the Gold Cup there. So excellent stuff um, from that team. It was a race of thrills and no few spills, uh, including that drama at the end, MP. And I know we've got a couple of questions uh, around the, the, the Cadillac happenings. Uh, one from Daniel Summersgill, by the way. And thanks again, Daniel, for putting these questions together. Kevin Kemp as well asking questions. Uh, so is Bluefall, uh, Bluefiend uh, and Dan Rice uh, all asking the uh, variations on a theme, and you will know the man better than any of us here present, um, about the Ganassi on Ganassi, blue on blue incident that took the leading two cars out of Petit Le Mans just before the final half hour. Describe for us, MP, what scenes post-race would have been like. I think it would have actually been full of, of cheer and celebration. Mm. Uh, I, I genuinely think it would have been nothing but high fives and hugs uh, on pit lane and under the tent afterwards, some champagne being sprayed. Because if you think about this, Graham, 
to craft a race strategy that says in the very end of the event, right, right towards the end of the event where winners and losers are chosen, we are going to come up with a pre-race strategy where our two entries, our only two entries, take each other out and they do that successfully. I'm just saying chef's kiss. When you yeah. talk about uh, uh, race way, strategy from first and second was, position, let's not forget that. Yeah. Executed flawlessly. I, I mean, seriously, never have I seen a race strategy call like that performed at such a high level. So afterwards, I got to believe it was nothing but high fives bonuses going yeah. to Earl Bamber and Renger Van de Zanda for truly executing something. Uh, I don't think anyone else will ever do a better job of absolutely <laughs> nailing the race strategy call of taking each other out while uh, vying for the lead. So, um, I mean, job job well done. That's what I would say. Um, kidding aside. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, you and I both have a, a, a an affinity for mm-hmm. Earl and an affinity for Renger. Of the things that surprised me after the race, folks asking, debating who is at fault, mm-hmm. I, I never really saw anything that would give me half a percent reason to question who caused that, who instigated that. Yep. Uh, 100% Earl, what the hell are you doing? Diving down the inside of somebody at the apex of the wickedly fast turn one. Not a thing that history has shown to be chock full of uh, success. Um, If I am remembering correctly, 2014, dawn of the brand newly constituted IMSA series, Rolex 24 at Daytona, Earl part of the factory Porsche gtlm team oh yes trying to what was it get by somebody heading into the infield the very first horseshoe turn turn three i think or whatever number it is exactly and uh i don't recall at that stage of the race anything being hypercritical certainly wasn't the end of the race um but i'm trying to remember the exact scene graham but trying to get by somebody uh and i think got onto the grass and went sailing and just Speared uh, the the sister Porsche and basically ruined both of their days. I think it was Mark Lieb at that point. I okay. think it might have been Mark, Mark Lieb. So that again, as I recall, it wasn't the two factory Porsches fighting for position and Earl taking out the other one. So not an exactly match for match thing. I think it was just again an error getting onto the grass, losing traction, and kind of being out of control and wiping out the other car. But not the first time. Earl's name would have been attached to uh, such team-based fratricide. Um, That, I think, is just part of the Earl Bamber package. Do you agree? Like, love the guy? One of the fastest people ever, ever, ever? But also Uh, that little kind of wild hair trigger thing where when things like this happen... You go, oh my God, what are you doing? That's crazy. But then you also go, I don't know. I struggle to understand MP. What? I don't know if that's totally out of character. uh, 
I struggle to understand in this instance just exactly what was going through Earl's mind to make him think that a pass for the lead at that point was in any way a good idea. Now, that's uh, that's the, the, the question of a pass for the lead. Where you did it comes secondary to that, I think is, is what it comes down to. And it may well have been no team orders, but there's always a team order. And the team order is don't hit your teammates. So it was an utter disaster. It did give us a fantastically dramatic uh, finished the race and of course it was still not done with drama with the further dramas for Felipe Albuquerque and the side-by-side hit with the Winwood car that eventually effectively took both of those out of contention as well um, uh, at that stage one battling for championship one in a podium position for GTD it was not a race without incident was it and I guess Earl if you're listening I'm sure this is painful, uh, but ultimately, you've got to point the finger of blame squarely there. It was. I, I, I'm. I, I can't wait to speak to him. I'm sure we'll be. I'm sure he'll own it. He's a very honest uh, fella. I'm oh, yeah. sure he will own it. Love the guy. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'd love to hear what the explanation was, and whether or not there is any kind of extenuating circumstance. But it sure as heck didn't look like it. And I'm sure the Acura teams were just rubbing their hands with glee that all of a sudden their championship battle was also a battle for yet another um, endurance race win. By the way, uh, in taking the win for Acura, uh, uh, Myershank Racing uh, secured uh, a unique happening in the DPI era in the very last race because that is the last uh, race of, was it, I think, 59 races in uh, the DPI era. But also, uh, particular one now becomes the only one of the IMSA, uh, whether it's Exports Car Championship races, that all four makes of DPI won at some point in that history. Um, so congratulations to them. Commiserations to literally everybody um, at uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, Cadillac Racing. They I thought you were going to say one. Wayne Taylor Racing. Oh, ah. wow. Like the – I took a photo – of the my television um the wayne taylor with his head in his hands yeah uh it's not necessarily a meme yet or a gif or a gif or whatever the heck t-shirt but oh i mean toronto motorsports.com are are, uh listening i know they do i think a t-shirt i just world i felt so happy for our friend Mike Shank and all the team there while feeling equal amounts of sadness for the Wayne Taylor team. Yeah. I, I I don't know if we can, there's no blame, I would say, to, to throw Philippe Albuquerque's way. I mean, he's in attack mode trying to get the lead back. Uh, what obviously was not expecting to hit uh, the, the windward Mercedes nor, you know, Neither party there was going into that corner expecting for uh, contact to happen and then uh, the flattening of a tire. So, again, this is an unfortunate byproduct of a track that in any of the twisty bits, it's not particularly wide, right? It's not as if pulling off a pass at, at many of the turns is just easy because there's tons of real estate to choose from. 
lot of these passes involve prayers, right? Whether it's hour one or, or leading into the final hour. A lot of these things involve prayers that someone sees you, someone's fully aware, etc., etc. Just um, crazy, uh, just crazy to should, see. Should make, we should make clear, though, MP, that not only did uh, Earl Bamba literally survive the uh, the race and survive the night, it was announced the following morning as a confirmed, not actually it was Monday morning, wasn't it? Confirmed uh, driver for the FIWEC for Cadillac Racing's single car entry, along with uh, Alex Lynn and Richard Westbrook, who I thought, by the way, was awesome uh, at Petit Le Mans, as he often is, uh, rolling back the years, Richard. Um, but So there is a future for uh, that trio. And, by the way, the other thing sort of halfway hidden in that press release is that they were, are confirmed, that trio, aboard a second Cadillac racing car for the um, first race in the GTP era, which will be the 2023 uh, Rolex 24 at Daytona. So that's good news. In a race, we won't be seeing the privateered 963s. They won't be ready for some little while. And by the way, this answers the question of Mark J. Cardella, who says, start again, Graham, please provide your best guess for GTP car count for the upcoming Rolex 24 hours. Well, we, we sort of know that. Um, so that I think is going to be nine, if I'm right. Is that right? MP? Three Cadillacs with the Action Express being the third. Yep. Uh, two BMWs, that would take us yep. to five. Uh, two Acuras, that would take us to seven. And, and the then, yes, Porsches. the two Porkers yep. would take us to nine. And so at nine. least at this moment, we are not expecting any. Uh, WEC Hypercar yeah. slash yeah. LMDH participation. So, yeah, believe nine will be the magic number. But nine's good. Nine's good. It will rise to 11 later in the season with the confirmed JDC Miller Porsche and another car still to be confirmed. Watch this space. Uh, but I think it will be effectively a de facto full season uh, 11 cars. Though we're not expecting to see the... Uh, additional privateer cars until after Sebring is my understanding, which means we're unlikely to see them until after Long Beach, because I don't think you're going to want to debut your uh, very shiny new uh, GTP car uh, on that circuit. But, you know, again, hashtag wait and see. You never do know. But there's a lot of storylines still to come uh, out of that. Um, you watch the race. I watched them and listened to the race. What else caught, kind of caught your uh, your kind of eye? I, I, I noticed the there's a bit of a snafu between GTD Pro and GTD, which looked to me MP to be a bit of an, uh, an errant wave by of the entire field, just because of where the GTD leader happened to be at the point the safety car came out, which meant that we had the entire GTD field uh, lapping a lap ahead of the GTD Pro cars. Is that anything you've heard anything about? Um, maybe a tweak. To stop that happening again? Um, I haven't heard anything on the on the tweak side. Yeah, uh, that part did seem a little bit uh, wacky. I would also say, wee bit sad that on the LMP2 side, uh, it seemed like we didn't get to the halfway point, but uh, no. before a lot of the contenders were a lap yeah. or more, multiple laps down, it seemed like P2, which 
could have been uh, fairly spectacular was was I don't know if I would say the win was necessarily resolved uh, super super early, but it stopped being something that was uh, fun to watch for me at least uh, sooner yeah. than hoped for. Um, Sebastian Montoya was was a blast to watch in his uh, his performances when he was in the car. Um, so yeah, I mean there there were there were some things to watch for sure. Congratulations, obviously, to John Ferrano who was. Um, very, very pleased with the, uh, the outcome, uh, season long wise or, or title wise. So good stuff there. P3, uh, on, I would on say. On the John Ferrano front, by the way, before you continue. So uh, I already know that John has obtained one new Orica for next season. I believe that's his IMSA car. And my understanding is there might be a second new car coming because he does intend to take up his, uh, now earned invitation to the Le Mans 24 hours. So, Serious uh, effort coming back there from John Ferrano from title winning success. And that served the purpose as well, too, hasn't it? Because Louis Delatraz has caught the uh, the selector's eyes and uh, will be stepping up to a GTP role uh, next season. So that's good news for him. Um, LMP3? Somewhat similar note. Seemed like if yeah. there were problems happening, <laughs> it was often due to a uh, P3 car sailing off either of their uh, their own making or getting hit or, yeah, a uh, bit of lack of cleanliness in that class as well. Congratulations, obviously, to uh, how everything shook out there, uh, the race win in particular. I know uh, the Andretti's were, were very, very happy. Gabby Chavez did this once forgetting who else did this, I think, in one of the GT classes. Might have even happened in uh, DPI, but the coming out of the final corner, I got slowed by somebody and or the person chasing me uh, got a better run and they want to duck down the inside and I run them over and edge them into the grass. That seemed to be something that it didn't happen in all five classes, Graham, but it sure felt like it happened in at least three. And warning for blocking, warnings for whatever else seemed to be doled out. And granted, I don't know if a warning is something that gets doled. It might just be conveyed. Penalties, I think, get doled out. But that was something that I know was part of uh, the Andretti driver squad. Uh, our friend Gabby Chavez was at least one of the th folks among the classes who seemed to play a little bit too hard at trying to defend their position. But um, overall, again, uh, P3 had some entertaining aspects. thought young Nolan Siegel, uh, thought he, he stood out as well, uh, putting in some, some quality speed, unless I have him confused for P2 or P3. I apologize. My brain's a little soft. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a class. It has yeah. cars, it has teams. Um, I, I think, couple you know, of years into it, what do you think, Graham? Is this still a worthy thing? I, I think the answer is the the P three thing has clearly got a shelf life. I think it's going to be interesting to see in an era where it, we're expecting the FI World Endurance Championship to trim down the class number. We've already lost one after the next race with GTE Pro going. Then we lose. 
GTM to replace by G3 uh, process. I expect there to be significant news on the uh, LMP2 front uh, before or during the Bahrain season finale, which then leaves all sorts of opportunities to take a look at some of the basic ways in which a race meeting is managed if you're down to two classes. At the moment, uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship has five. Um, it required that at a period where car count was looking shaky. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, in particular, MP, what happens with LMP2 going into uh, the 2023 season. I'm aware of three additional cars, more or less confirmed, for the 2023 season. But then again, I'm aware of at least two cars that are probably going away in the 2023 season. So there's potential for further growth there in P2. P3, it, for me, it doesn't quite work on that package. Um, it does. I don't know why, but it doesn't quite work. It does work in other packages, works great with uh, the European Le Mans series, for instance. But somehow, whether or not it's the, the particular speed of the DPIs, whether or not it's the depth of the GT grid, whatever it is, it doesn't quite feel like a very comfortable um, partner to that grid. Does, does that make sense, MP? Yeah, it just... Throw a true sports person driver into a GT3 car, into the GTD class. Yeah. And it's somewhat rare. It is, it's not somewhat rare. It is extremely rare when we have someone who is just out of their depth at the GT three level. Um, I'm thinking of Jackie Heinricher, maybe uh, Heinricher's as someone who stands out, uh, within the last three, four five years who fell into that category. And that's no disrespect meant to Jackie. Just, she had simply done very little racing of any kind beforehand did a lot of track days did a lot of you know number of those things and i'll even say i don't know like if it was a crazy amount but the aptitude required to be good and not stand out as being insufficient as the am in gtd there's a pretty good filter, I would say, of those drivers who are not really capable of measuring up, not being allowed into the cars, not showing up and arriving in them. So just the, the major point here, it is truly rare when we go, that person shouldn't be in the WeatherTech Championship in a GT car because they just they don't have it either skill-wise yeah. or they just don't have enough experience to be up to speed. Where... P3 seems to be that kind of weird fit to me. It falls along the same lines, and yet we do see folks where, at least to my eye, I go, oh, yeah, hey, hey, brother. Sure seems like if there's a yellow flag to be waved um, or a red or whatever, probably going to be you uh spinning your p3 car uh dumping it into the barriers and just right there, there's a frequency uh 
of mistakes, lack of aptitude, lack of something. So that's the part, Graham, that is odd to me. Normally, we would get those drivers who just aren't all the way there standing out at truly the first step in a GT car. That seems to no longer really be a thing. So now the entry point for are you sufficient or not is stepped up to, I don't know what we would call LMP3. Is it the second tier, third tier speed-wise? We know speed-wise it's the, the third fastest class. That's the part that just seems odd to me. Uh, yeah. I'll be, I mentioned Jackie again, not to be mean, just cause she's no longer involved and it's been a while. Yep. I'll, I'll decline to mention the person folks probably figured out. And again, this is just trying to be kind because they still do compete, but there is one gentleman whose LMP three car that I'm fairly positive. He pays the majority of the bills on for it to compete. Um, they got a fair amount of screen time. <laughs> from practice qualifying in the race because it was when he climbed into the car at the corners that are the most daunting most of the time where just out of his depth. And yet, instead of really spending that time in GT and getting up to speed and then being more qualified to go to LMP3, we're getting some folks jumping straight to P3 because it's the other true pro-am training type class yeah. uh, or entry-level class. But man, that's an awfully fast entry-level class. So that's the part that sticks out to me, Graham, is just, hey, so we'd love for you to be an LMP3. How about you go show us your awesome in GTD first? Um I mean, it's a or free VP market challenge next year. I mean, if you want to get have a crack at uh, P3, this is where we're, 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 you know, you've had the IMSA prototype challenge now gone um, in recent years with LMP3 as a, as a training ground. We're, we're lucky to have those two tiers on the LMS um, uh, bill as well with the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Uh, and I think one I'll answer quickly on LMP3 as well. And this comes from Divorce Pill Single Guy at JTR69. Uh, why are there so many li more Ligiers on the LMP3 grids when the Duquesne seems to be just as quick? He points out that DKR won the LMS with one last year, yet they're the only Duquesne in the LMS grid. Uh, speed's one thing. Uh, my guess, if if you were to ask the teams, they may very well tell you that a lot of it is about the customer service they receive as well. So it is about the way in which they are able to put together and maintain often multiple programs with the interaction with the manufacturer that that requires not to say duquesne are bad at that it's to say that my understanding is that these are exceptionally good at that uh, so that my guess is why for instance the ligier jsp3 i believe mp is the uh, sports prototype in the modern era uh, built in bigger numbers than anything else well over 100 cars it might be matched at the end by the Eureka 07 now up to i think 105 uh, of those that have been built, but uh, that's why Ligier. Yeah, I mean, um, the the, oh, the other part to just consider here is it's the safe bet. Yeah. There are so many of them. The setup information for them, either the suggested baseline setup being provided by the manufacturer or the fact that if you hire anybody, uh, crew chief, engineer, heck, even drivers who've been involved in P3 for the last couple of years, almost a guarantee they have touched uh, 
uh, Alige, know it uh, and have some pretty good direction on how you would run it and run it successfully. I'm not saying Duquesne lacks a number of folks who've had success with that model as well, but if you are a new team, if you're a whatever team and you're just wanting to go get something that you know is has proven to be the best in terms of number of victories, uh, wide-ranging amount of data information about how to run them successfully, uh, and so on, that's why folks would run towards that. It's kind of like you know, in LMP3, it's the equivalent of a, a Porsche 911 GT3R, right? There might be some other GT3 models that have had more success recently or whatever else. But good Lord, you know that if you buy that car, you're opting into something that you're going to have a high percentage possibility of great success with compared to a more boutique model that maybe does not give you that the same high odds of being able to, to succeed as often. So you know, there, there's a bit of practicality behind that choice as well. That being said, uh, I always had an affinity for the Duquesne, so I want to see more of them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer a couple of questions from this list. Uh, before we go, and if you want to grab another one, MP, before we go, I'm keen to just have a quick discussion on just what we've seen on track at Road Atlanta. I know you weren't there, neither was I, but we've seen uh, video, we've seen pictures of the cars. I think they look awesome. Um, Dennis Protniak uh, actually asked about that. He asks, will BMW and Honda really miss out on being part of the centenary Le Mans 24 hours. Why? Especially given that their mathematical chances of winning only get smaller by 2024 with more teams arriving and new cars uh, are getting more sorted. Well, the answer is because they've opted not to. They've opted not to enter a full season car in 2023 in the WEC. That is the qualifying criteria that's been determined by the ACO and it's their race uh, that enables anybody to enter a car or indeed an additional car uh, for the Le Mans 24 hours. So they've made that choice. We know for certain BMW will be there uh, in 2024 with uh, Team WRT, uh, who, by the way, rolled out the first of their, no doubt, mighty fleets of BMW M4 GT3s uh, in testing on Monday. Uh, we'll be seeing a lot more of that, I'm sure, in the future. So that's why it's their choice, I think, is what it comes down to. And it's a shame because I'd love to see even more variety than we're going to get. The, the one to finish for me MP yeah, was, comes from, let me just throw in there because this is another yeah. important distinction to make. Endurance racing is a global thing. Obviously yeah. the Rolex 24 is a great domestic event, but it is by no means uh, revered as much as the 24 hours of Le Mans, just from an international prestige standpoint. So I fully get the, well, Hey, uh, Acura and BMW going to have uh, their their cars running next season in IMSA, going to be full-time GTP entries. Why don't they go do Le Mans uh, budget-wise? Yeah, we're talking mm -hmm. about almost breaking the bank across all the GTP efforts next season and, in theory, seasons beyond. Uh, yes, it would be great, but keep in mind that this is American Honda slash Acura funding this program. This is not Honda Japan funding it. So from an international standpoint, you have the American uh, side of things being behind the Acura bit. Uh, they're focusing on America. 
first and foremost and wanting to get that right. So while I know there's an allure and a desire to go to Le Mans, uh, the fact that it's the centenary, anything else I can tell you, really does not register as anything of any importance to them in regards to running their cars for the first full season, making sure they get everything right and are as competitive as can be here at home, which is the, the initial and primary basis for what they're doing. Also adding on a full, and we're going to debut the cars and run them for a season, and by May, end of May or leading into June, we'll have done four races, maybe I get uh, maybe five, but um, and but also tackle a huge 24-hour Le Mans program as well. Just that's a little bit too much. Similar note as well for BMW. Um, so, yeah, uh, would just say that, Although we all look at Le Mans as the holy grail for an international uh, endurance race each year, this is a bit of an outlier with uh, the majority, not necessarily all, obviously, but the majority, I shouldn't say the majority, half of next year's full-time GTP efforts uh, that are heavily based, if not exclusively based in the U.S. on debut, to just stay locked down and focus on that before expanding to a, a wider world scope for the cars okay uh, my last one i'm going to pick out it comes from kevin Perez federico he says hi gg happy that portugal with portimao is returning to the wc calendar because he's portuguese american his question is do the teams love the circuit also with the wc expanded to seven rounds the most in a long time did the crews and teams have the same pushback or concerns about getting too long traveling for the crews like f1 teams do we are indeed going to seven rounds and It'll be eight in 2024 if the current plans come to fruition and probably no further than that for a little wee while. Um, yes, the teams like Portimao. Uh, a lot of them have had experience of it, not just because we went there with the WEC during the COVID uh, period, but also because a lot of them do ELMS and we go there every, or more or less every year. I think it might be five consecutive seasons we've had the season finale there and that's coming up not this weekend, but next. Um, on the... Uh, the logistics front and the time away front, seven races, not a problem. I think, if anything, some of the teams are pushing for there to be more. Uh, the problems we've had with this are calendar congestion caused by a multitude of issues here, MP, one of which is the... That, let's deal with one or two of the things that have been out there um, on social media, on broadcast for that matter. Um, first and foremost... The fact that you read the calendar for the WEC when you did does not mean that's the day they decided it, okay? Um, I can tell you that I've had um, a little bit of intel with the actual dates for the WEC calendar for many, many weeks. Uh, The problem is it is an FI World Championship. It therefore has to be discussed and agreed at the FI World Motorsport Council. And that usually takes place after the publication of the provisional calendar for the FI Formula One World Championship. And as uh, anybody knows at the moment, that's got 24 races on it. That effectively ties up 48 uh, weekends at 24 tracks because they won't allow you to race the weekend before because they're doing prep work. That's cramped the style. You've then got um, one other major issue, which is, if you want to go back to have flyaway races, and most people do, we've successfully been to uh, Japan for the first time this year since pre-COVID, then you have to take into account 
another one of the challenges that COVID has thrown at us, um, which is the enormous rise in freighting costs. To give you an idea, sea freights now compared to pre-2020, uh, up by somewhere like uh, 200 to 250%. Um, I am told by thems that know that air freight over and above that, unlike uh, what I've heard elsewhere, is not in the same ballpark as sea freight. It's four to six times more expensive. Um, when you're talking at a baseline of many tens of thousands of euros, dollars or pounds, broadly more or less the same thing. Thank you very much, UK government these days, um, is that you're then talking into way, way into six figures if you choose to air freight your cars and or some of your equipment. So the, the whilst the really good news today, MP, is that one um, calendar clash, a major calendar clash, has been removed, which is that the LMEM have found an opportunity to move the European Le Mans series season finale at Portimao back a week in 2023, which means that a clash with Petit Le Mans has gone, and that's great news. There is still a clash, by the way, between Petit Le Mans and the GT World Challenge Europe uh, season finale. Seems to be rather less wailing and gnashing of teeth about that one, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. Um, there are two remaining problems. One is the new Portimao race in the WEC clashes with Long Beach, and the other is Monza in the WEC in July clashes with uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Let me take you through the reasons why Monza will not move. It can't go earlier because it's a month after Le Mans. And there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done by the teams uh, with their cars and their components and rebuilding spares packages uh, in an environment where the supply chain is troubled in those four weeks after the Le Mans 24 hours. Therefore, obviously, then has to be a European race because otherwise you're adding logistics into that. You're then stuck into a position where you're three to four weeks after the Le Mans 24 hours. And you've basically got that weekend and none other because that is the deadline for shoving stuff into containers and putting it on a ship. Um, the same kind of period last year, MP, uh, in the minutes, well, in fact, during the race in many cases, and certainly the minutes and hours that followed, frantic activity from the teams to load the containers that were in the support paddock at Monza, because I think I'm right, lock up deadline for those containers to reach the ship in time to get to Fuji was midnight on the night of the six hours of Monza. So anybody that watched that race and saw Enrique Chavez's um, very spectacular exit from the race in the TF Sport car, uh, that car didn't make the trip. Luckily for TF Sport, they had their LMS kit and caboodle on site from the previous weekend. So when the LMS cars went, this is not and should never be inferred is incompetence on the part of somebody that didn't realize there was going to be a clash. They have no real choice if they want those seven races. We've got three races before Le Mans. We've got three races after Le Mans. The window for having a European race post Le Mans and pre Fuji in the current climate is absolutely tiny. Um, so anybody that's out there perpetuating this, you know, carelessness type storyline behind these wrong. Does any, everybody want it to be different? Of course, we all want it to be different. The ACO want it to be different. IMSA want it to be different. Teams and manufacturers want it to be different. But they're forced into that position simply by circumstance of where we are in the world at the moment 
on the supply chain and logistics front. That's the major reason behind it. And the calendar uh, congestion at the start of the year caused as well uh, by the issues that are going to continue to be the case for some time yet uh, with the somewhat greedy efforts of the Formula One World Championship to pack uh, their calendar and eat up a lot of circuit time that not just WEC, but others are having to work around. Uh, you know, ask SRO what they think on that one after having to move the Spa 24 hours. So I'd say this, I've, I'd, I'd say it once in a while on the Weekend Sportscast MP, and I was going to say it again. Convergence has been very good to us to this point. Pervergence. Let, yeah, let's not get tribal. Let's not get my chosen championship is better than your chosen championship. Let's bring this home and show what can be done rather than finding ways to snipe when truly organizing a team, a championship, a race meeting is cripplingly difficult right now. And when you're doing it across continents, it simply adds further difficulties. Let's have less the moaning, a little bit more in understanding how hard people are actually working. And let's not presume that because you read it on a Monday, they decided it on a Sunday. They didn't. They decided it months ago, quite possibly, by the way, before other calendars were announced. They're just not able to announce it because that's what the FIA rules say. So can we put that to one side? I don't ever want to see it again. There are firm reasons, well understood by those that ask the questions directly to the people involved as to why those dates are what they are. And I know they are unhappy that it does mean that it's going to impact on multiple, particularly drivers, uh, and as well as which one or two teams in terms of the choices they can make. It, it's as difficult a process and as simple an explanation as that. There is no conspiracy. There is no carelessness here. It is simply the way it has to be this year. And hopefully, as things start to level out in the next year or two, we can move forward into kind of rather happier times. You got any more you want to take before I say goodbye? Yeah, let's see. Ricky Zagata asking, there has to be a way to speed up full course cautions in IMSA. Would pitting all cars under yellow be a realistic option? I got to admit, uh, yes, I would love to see that. Um, part of the, if not a significant part of how IMSA approaches things, especially when we have the full field in play, all five classes right now, is liking to separate prototypes and GTs, cycle uh, one faction through, get them out, then cycle the other. Part of me wonders that, hey, if you're going to do that, if you're going to allow all the prototypes to fire in, uh, then wait another lap or however long, uh, whatever the, the circuit length might be certainly changes graham how long the wait is for the gts to get in yep. i don't know part of me wonders like hey we've seen other series do a pretty good job of using more than one pace car if needed we've certainly seen split starts uh right we see those too where uh the half the field prototypes usually get going then the gts part of me wonders like okay what is the average time that it takes for the prototypes to fire into pit lane at whatever track, get their 30-ish to 40 seconds worth of service while sitting idle and then roll out? I don't know. Could you do something crazy like deploy a second 
Pascar right away to wrangle and separate the classes there and say, hey, you know what? We're going to let the prototypes go first. We're also going to have the pace car controlling the GTs. Just take it really easy to create a a 45-second buffer or something. So, again, if the concern is, well, we couldn't possibly have all 42 or 45 or whatever number of cars coming at the same time, I will admit, Graham, I don't understand why we can't do that because we sure used to, and it wasn't like I don't recall explosions and fire, like, this wasn't like, oh my God, it was so crazy and dangerous back in the day that we have to stop it. Like, no, we kind of did that normally and, and there was no real need to create this whole complicated uh, pit procedure under caution and not a fast yellow, but a normal yellow and multiple laps and separating classes like we used to just pit them all at once. And again, uh, I don't recall writing or seeing many obituaries because of that. I'm not trying to be flippant. I'm just saying, like, I think we're being a little overcautious there. But if we still deem the need to separate, okay, could we come up with a plan where we don't need to have the GTs continue to circulate while the prototypes pit, just have a second pace car kind of back them up 45 seconds, a minute, whatever else, so that, uh, in theory, all the cars pit on the same lap. There's just a built-in gap between them again maybe that's a thing but uh, yeah um this is always the complaint during the endurance races where boy the opportunity to run through this long 15 20 minute procedure whatever it might be there's inevitably some reordering that needs to be done graham after the pit stops are done hey you go around and you fought like it's there's got to be a better way so is there a way ricky yes is there a motivation to do that? Not that I know of quite yet. Um, why don't we... Let me just look through here real quick like and whatnot. Uh, you know, the one other thing we can add, and I think we did this in the last episode mm-hmm. of dropping in some little newsy stuff at the end. Okay. Um, all right, let's see. I'll do that in just a sec. Johnny Schultz is asking which car team or driver defined the DPI era in your opinion. Well... I was going to give you someone else's opinion, but you put in that that qualifier (laughs) at the end there, John. Um, I'd say the Cadillac, since it's really of those that closed the era, the only one that was there from the beginning. It was the dominant uh, from the outset, I believe, won the most races by a fairly decent amount. Mm -hmm. And I would also say had the greatest impact in terms of teams that weren't factory or factory-ish being able to come in and play, get their hands on cars, right? So uh, granted, too many of them went away, sadly, but uh, whether it was uh, a Hunkos Hunkos Racing coming in and playing a little bit, uh, we had, and thankfully they're still there, the uh, JDC Miller team, that mm-hmm. was able to graduate and jump up from P2. Visit Florida Racing. Visit Florida right. Racing. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, and again, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of others. Uh, but I would just say that Cadillac's willingness to sell the cars, make them available, which was a uh, different stance than Acura. Diff- uh, granted, I, I think you certainly could have bought um, examples of the Nissan, but uh, Lige built Nissan. Uh, obviously, Core Autosport uh, took one and went racing Mm -hmm. with that for a year. But just saying, 
greatest impact that I saw among manufacturers. I would say I would put that on Cadillac for sure. Uh, team probably lean towards Wayne Taylor Racing mm-hmm. uh, as the right not only title winning, but they sure have won a bunch of big races, vied for the title every year. Moving with across. two different makes, remember? Yeah, I was going to say thing. moving yeah. across from Cadillac to Acura and, and winning the Rolex 24 right away for Acura for the first time ever. So say Wayne Taylor, and I might even stick there as well and say, uh, Ricky Taylor, uh, will probably, uh, probably be the one that I think of most of the DPI era. And that also involves not only was he there from the beginning, but was also there all the way through to the end. There's some others think of a, uh, Dane Cameron, we could think of, you know, some others where we might say, wow, you achieved big things, did that across, you know, multiple uh, manufacturers as well. But I'd say Ricky is the one who jumps out to me as uh, champion across two different makes and, you know, delivering wins from start to finish, basically. Yeah, so I mean, eight, 18 DPI race wins for Ricky Taylor, and that's by far the most. Uh, next up was uh, Felipe Albuquerque, and he's the only other one in double figures. Uh, it's almost half the race wins in that era uh, were claimed by the Cadillac. Yeah. Uh, 27 out of the 55 races uh, in the um, DPI era that were won by DPI cars were four LMP2 wins and amongst that. Uh, and that compares, by the way, to 17 race wins for Acura, seven for Mazda and four for the Nissan. Uh, so you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, for me, uh, there's one other name. I would mention um, in that company, and it's a driver whose career has been made and defined by the DPI era. Mark Goosens. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry. Mark was pretty good beforehand. Sorry. Um, and that is, and it's not Juan Pablo Montoya either, it's Pippa Durrani. Ah, that's a great so call. Pippa Durrani, uh, eight wins but has always been a force in those cars and uh, has seen to be a driver that's, um, you know, with some cracking controversies along the way, well done people. We always like a few of those, but he's a driver that for me, when I think of DPI, I will think of everything you've just said. You're absolutely spot on. Uh, but people Durrani as well. The other one I'm going to mention, uh, because I think in terms of its spirit, and in terms of what we're now seeing with the the even additional freedom of styling that's coming in the GTP era, is the Mazda. The Mazda, I think, is the big fan favorite car. Beautiful piece of kit. I'd suggest to you the Mazda DPI is the first of the GTPs in terms of the spirit of the way that that car looked. Um, it, it truly was, you know, absolutely every curve influenced by the design language of the brand something that you couldn't necessarily say about all the other cars um and you know i mourn its passing there will be a story by the way it involves the master dpi uh, on dsc later this week uh, for a rather odd reason uh, but watch for that one while we're um, throwing names out yeah uh i guess the other one that i would say was the most impactful once he was uh drafted in and and uh, a part of things was felipe nazar yes granted it's probably a more of a story to write here than to just leave as a topic uh we've discussed here on the show but 
sometimes uh, omission tells you a lot about someone's value and impact to a program. Yeah. And Understood. you, I think about, I look at the absence of Felipe from Action Express this past season and how with this one change that I'm aware of, knowing that they're the same great race engineer, same great everything, with one change, the team went from being fear them everywhere, right? Coming off of a uh, pretty amazing 2021, right? Uh, pretty statement-making 2021 and all the success they had in that combination between Pippo and Felipe as the full-time drivers. Unplug Felipe? Oh, yeah, that, that was not the same team. And so, again, uh, I'd, I'd say Ricky... Taylor, for sure, uh, going back to, to John's question about the defining driver of the DPI era, had he stayed in the car, been in that Action Express Cadillac to close the era, not only do they have a very different 2022 season, but I also might change my uh, pick to him. But the fact that he wasn't here to close things out, obviously, granted, moved to a team that pretty did pretty darn well uh, in winning GTD Pro on debut with FAF Motorsports. I don't know why we haven't mentioned them. Holy cow, that team's amazing. But, yeah, uh, boy, you take Felipe out of the mix there, and that was a team that was scrambling to look like a slight version of its former self right so massive congratulations congratulations to gradient racing what a run they had through petit le mans and to take the win um their first win in uh, the emsa gtd standings and the first win for an accurate nsx since 2020 absolutely excellent stuff from them the final thing is a quick statette uh from the dpi era uh, now gone and that is 85 drivers started at least one race in a DPI car. Of those, almost half, 39 of them, scored at least one race win. That's, I reckon, MP, uh, a a marker of the, the depth in quality that what was never a huge class, but you know the depth of quality that that class had. And it shows as well, for me, how a kind of BOP class can operate in reality. The cream does rise to the top. You do get the best teams with the best drivers, and for that matter, on the day, in the best car, winning repeatedly. Uh, But they've got to be on their game uh, when you've got other factors in place. Uh, Cracking stuff from DPI. We're going to miss it. But with what we've seen, what we've heard from some of the video that we've been hearing of how the cars actually sound... um, we're in for a treat in 2023 in the Weather Tech Sports Car Championship. And for that matter, uh, with the FI World Endurance Championship. Look out, by the way, for the Ferrari Mondial, the uh, season-ending celebration for Ferrari, where we will see the official unveiling of their LMH car. And we can guess that the name of that uh, car will be um, revealed as well. I'm hearing, MP, that it will go down the road of... Uh, previous Ferraris, which of course go with an Italian name and as a four-wheel drive car, uh, will also have a name that reflects the technical package in that car. I believe it is going to be called the Ferrari Quattro Formaggi. That's what I'm hearing at the moment. 
that may be wrong. Um, the Ferrari four cheese. That that is that what that means? I think so. I've, I've been I've been fooled again. Or maybe Formaggio. Fooled, uh, fooled again. Yes. Anything more before we close it? <laughs> that would be amazing. Basically, Wouldn't naming the car after pizza. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. Um, I don't know if uh, there's anything else that jumps out that uh, that we need to cover off, but we we certainly can. Um, or we could just say thank you, and uh, and you Let's take us home. That. Let's do that. Let's say thank you. Uh, thank you to everybody that, again, has popped in to put questions in for the weekend sports cars. And thanks to Daniel Summerskill again for his efforts in putting them together with such dispatch. Thanks, of course, to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com, our loyal sponsors of the weekend sports cars, the Marshall Pro podcast. He has been Marshall Pruitt. I, uniquely, have been Graham Goodwin. We will be back with you next week in the uh, preamble to the end of the European Le Mans series uh, and their calendar at Portimao. For now, that's enough. We'll see you next week.